Welcome to another pint with Shawnee B coming to you from Roehampton in London. I have a very interesting guest today, somebody I've just met about 15 or 20 minutes ago, and these are the ones I like the most. I don't know a huge amount about him. He is an award-winning filmmaker. He's also here in front of me because those of you who regularly listen to the show may have uh, listened to the episode with Jayon Najad of Axes and Human Pyramids. And the man I'm speaking to today is the man who made the promo video for their great song Crackle Pop and it's a brilliant video using synesthesia and it's also a surround AOR video which is on the end of the podcast in the blurb which you can find and it's tremendous. Anyway I'm welcoming to the podcast a pint with Shawnee B. We're just having coffee unfortunately although he is having a beer. I'm actually which having is good. a yeah. half pint a with half Shawnee pint. B because we've retreated to my home <laughs> because the pop was too loud. Uh, his name is John Lynch. Welcome to the podcast sir. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you Sean. So you're a filmmaker, uh, as am I. I have, uh, just as I said to you, made a film and I'm, I enjoy mm. talking to filmmakers about how their lives progress. Uh, I guess we start with the Crackle Pop music video and mm. your relationship with Axes and uh, Human Pyramids, which you're almost like their Anton Corbin, if you want. You, you're... Yeah, uh, it's very kind. I listened to the to Gian's podcast and it's very kind of him. And I think a couple of them have said I'm the, the unofficial fifth member yeah. of Axes. I kind of got into being friends with those guys through All Tomorrow's Parties Music Festival. I don't know okay. if you've heard of it, which is this festival that for like maybe Math 15 rock. years. Yeah, it's a, it's a festival that kind of, I think it's quite a legendary sort of place. I, I wonder how many really cool artistic kind of relationships have come out of that festival right. where, where they basically used to go off to like a, like these kind of butlins type yeah. places and put on music festivals with all these kind of bands that you'd never heard of before, you'd maybe heard of two or three of them, and then the main acts would curate the rest of the acts. Okay. I used to go to the to ATP like every year. I got introduced to Stacy, the bassist from yeah. Axes, and we hit it off over. <laughs> there's this uh, in Minehead where the festival used to take place. It's all gone now, uh, sadly. There's this like laughing sailor, terrifying. What do you call it? It's like an amusement thing yeah. on the side of the beach. Yeah. Put you some put money a coin in, in it and he's like this terrible, scary thing, ventriloquist dummy thing, yeah. like you know, flops about. And we, we both, we both just years later. Yeah, it. exactly. We both had this. We were both strangely drawn to him. And I made a video which <laughs> had quite a heavy, uh, heavy, heavily featured this uh, sailor. And I remember sending it to Stacy on Facebook. She then came back to me and said, "Oh well, have you heard my band's music? That was Axes, who yeah. just started at the time." I remember listening to them and they were exactly the kind of thing I'm into. Complicated music that is referential to other music, I yeah. guess. Music for music nerds. So and those who uh, haven't heard of Axes and Human Pyramids, it's a guy called Paul Russell. Yeah. Who's a Scottish guy but and, and the rest of the band. They're a four-piece, but they make a hell of a lot of noise and they, they believe in doing sort of this crescendo-building, upbeat kind of music that puts, a, puts you in a good mood, quite frankly. And they yeah. actually seek that out. And so... Any of you who, uh, who who want to, you know, even now, pause this uh, podcast and go and have a look at some of Axes or uh, Human Pyramids work mm. on YouTube, uh, you'll you'll see what I mean. You have the art direction for a music a musical thing, which is critical, I think. I feel very privileged actually to have somehow walked into being kind of like yeah, like the art director for a music band, yeah. like which <laughs> is kind of the best of both worlds for me. And Human Pyramids really is the kind of musical embodiment of Paul and his personality. Yes, yes. He is this guy that has his kind of response to almost anything is, yes, great. Yeah. It's always like a positive. It's always like, let's try yeah, it. Yeah. 
I think maybe that's why me and him hit it off because a lot of my ideas and, and where my creativity comes from is often just jumping headfirst into things and having a go rather than intellectualizing it too much and mm. thinking about it mm. and then and then you kind of feel like you have to push through and you get things done that way my, my reference to anton corbin earlier is is done for a reason because i think you know you two were never as good as they were when he was across those three seminal albums of their yeah. acting baby joshua tree and, and rattle and home you know yeah i know what you mean I, so tell me the crackle and pop story because crackle pop is a a, a classic example of as you probably said paul's energy and, and the band's mm. energy and this kind of it's just a beautiful they, they don't have lyrics in their songs they're musical crescendo building anthem like rock and it's called math rock and you can look that up because i had yeah. a discussion with that before but tell me the story about the video and the synesthesia part of it so paul sent me i'd known that he'd been working on new stuff because he had another out he had an album that came out and then subsequently started a band to kind of play it live i'm actually part of the band yeah you play what little instrument <laughs> i play a thing i'll show triangle. you, I'll show, you no, triangle. I'll, sh I'll show you it it's called a charango it's like a ukulele mixed with a mandolin and the story as to why i play it in the band is simply that whilst me and my wife had we just got married and we went traveling around the world sort of backpacking and in bolivia i uh picked up this thing because it was close to the end of our travels and i wanted a souvenir and i play guitar and i thought you know, I'll take this back with me. Got home and Paul had just finished this amazing album that he'd sent me. And um, as a joke, I sent him a video of me playing one of the songs on, on the Charango and said, oh, you know, when you're doing live shows, I'll, I'll join. <laughs> and then he's like, calls me on and goes, oh, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, we're doing a show actually. And so I then had to learn how to play all of the songs with this instrument that I didn't have any clue what I was doing. So you, you and then I had to find a way to like plug it in as yeah. well and get it through a sound system. And yeah, and so essentially I conned my way <laughs> into the human pyramid and I've basically not let them kick me out yet. Like yeah. I now, I, in the last gig we played, I actually played a bit of the xylophone and a bit of the glue. I'm basically trying to make sure I've got my fingers yeah. in all the pie so they can't get rid of me because I enjoy it so much. But he got in touch with me when the new album, when he'd started kind of recording it and sent me crackle pop i was sort of slightly depressed at the time when he sent it to me because the other massive thing i've done recently which is eddie this short film i made i'd kind of just come out of the process of putting that online and kind of launching it and i'd come to the end of kind of a festival run with it i basically run myself into the ground trying to promote it as a just a nobody in the film industry trying mm. to promote a short film. You Same have to, applies to podcasts, by the way. Well, indeed, yeah. You, but you know, you have to grift yeah. every single day. It's like you cannot stop for a second. You have mm. to keep sending emails. Every time you think of a single person who might be interested yeah. in it, you've got to send it. You've got to do a whole kind of personalised press release to them and just get it to them. Mm. And so I've been doing that. And, and we've had some success with it. But I think whenever you've put that much work into something, no matter how kind of well it goes, if someone doesn't ring you up and go you're the next Guillermo del Toro, come to Hollywood. You feel a little bit like yeah, deflated, deflated yeah. and empty. And I, I was in that kind of space when he sent me Crackle Pop. I put it on, I was in a, we were on holiday somewhere in like Cornwall and I, I put it on and I was in the bath and I like just played this song about 10 times in a row on the phone and it just lifted me out of yeah. <laughs> my, my funk I was in. And so immediately I, he said, do you want to make a video in that way that Paul does? And I went, yes, of course I do. Maybe a day went past where I walked around this sort of little town in Cornwall listening to it in my headphones. And I got back to him and I said, OK, I've got an idea. What we're going to do is 
I want to make a documentary. <laughs> and he goes, yes, <laughs> great. Most people would probably go, no, I, I need a music video. And I said, no, I want to make a documentary about synesthesia, something that I've been interested in for a while. And I think your music is perfect for I it. I agree. Now explain what synesthesia is. So, so synesthesia, if, if you haven't heard of it, I need to be careful to <laughs> explain it. It is essentially a perceptual phenomenon. Some people, different areas of their senses, are kind of what most people would think of as separate. So hearing, mm-hmm. sort of tasting, seeing, processing numbers and words. Instead of being separated, some of them are one and the same. And so different types of synesthesia are people who, when they look at numbers, those numbers all have a colour and like they cannot disassociate the colour with the number. So the number two to them is always blue. Wow. And it's not necessarily the case that they see it as blue, but when they see it, they know that it is blue. Similarly, there are people who taste sounds. So they hear something and they get a physical taste in their mouth. There are loads and loads of different types of synesthesia and some of them are just mad. Like some people have this thing called ticker tape synesthesia where when people talk to them, they see, they literally see the words. And so it's like speech bubbles or something. One of the more common forms of synesthesia and the one that kind of I immediately thought about when I was listening to Crackle Pop is um, a thing called chromesthesia. People who hear sound and they see something visual, they see colour or mm. a shape or an experience. I said to him, I've always kind of thought that your music is like auditory yeah, synesthesia. Agree, yeah. And so I, I would like to explore it. And so I said, what I'd like to do is take your music, give me the stems. <laughs> That's the first thing I always do. He's <laughs> like, I've, ma- I've mixed this amazing track together. Yeah. I'm like, okay, give me it all separately. <laughs> yeah. And I will play each of the stems to some synesthetes. And I'll get them to tell me what they see when they hear like just the separate lines like the violin or the drums. And then I will take their descriptions and in the way I best I can, I will go to my computer and I'll go to my editing software, my graphics software, whatever. And I will try and recreate those. Where did um, you find the synesthetes? That was the hardest part, actually. (laughs) And I thought that would be quite easy. Jump on a few Facebook groups and, Mm. and ask. And actually, turns out synesthetes can be quite shy. I found them by just going through every single post anyone had ever done on a synesthesia group on Facebook. Writing to them. And sort of writing to them saying, sorry to bother you. Especially if they'd done a study or something and they'd collected some people. Yeah. Like I would write to them and say, sorry to bother you. Did you have any luck getting people? I'm mm. making this thing. Eventually, um, I had like three or four people kind of get back to me and two people sort of stood out. This guy called Tim and uh, this girl called Yasmin. Uh, he was an artist and she was a singer. You mm. tend to find that people with synesthesia, especially visual types, are quite artistic, obviously, mm. because they, they have a unique way of filtering the world. We interviewed Tim at the same time as filming most of the green screen stuff we did for the video. The video itself, if people haven't seen it, basically puts you in a theatre space. As I did this, I started to realise that I might want to try and make this a virtual reality film. Essentially a film that you can, if you're wearing a headset, you can literally be inside. Or if you have, if you haven't, it's one that you can kind of scroll around on your screen and, and explore 360 degrees of your environment. The film is basically you standing in the centre of a theatre whilst Paul conducts a, a spectral orchestra who appear and disappear. As they appear and appear disappear around you and play their instrument, you see what the synesthetes saw when they heard the instrument. And so you get to experience a little bit what synesthesia might be like 
very well explained because it's hard to explain it. And I, I mean, when I first clicked on it, uh, it was as part of my research for my meeting with Jayon. But, uh, you know, the other thing that struck me was I had it on my phone. And I, I know I should be probably more on top of A or on V or than I am. But you, if you look at it on YouTube on your phone, move your phone around behind you and up in the sky and around and you mm. will just see you're, you're, you're in the room. It's a beautiful piece. And actually, the thing I love most about it is the fact that there's an idea that runs right the way through the music, through the synesthesia, through the way it's been executed, through the fact that you can then, as a viewer of the video do something different that will disturb you, not disturb you, jolt you into a, a, a different place. So anyway, look, all of the links to, to John's work with axes and, and human pyramids uh, will be on the end of the blurb of the podcast. Start with this one and, and work your way back. There's lots of great stuff in there. You also captured this great thing with, with axes, the other band that these guys are all involved in, where they just seem to be having such joy in the way they're performing and the way they're doing their music, when they say you're a fifth member, you you like to go in tight and you like to be in around them as they're, they're sort of lost in their music. Axes are... There's sometimes there's music that just is a perfect fit for what you kind of like. And until until I heard Axes music, I don't think I would have said, like, it's very likely that someone I know, a mate or something in a band, is going to ever make something that I really, truly, massively enjoy. Yeah. I'll enjoy it because it's theirs, but I won't necessarily be into it like I wouldn't be a fan of the band. And Axis is like that, and Human Pyramids, I suppose, is an exception to that. Like, as soon as I heard their music, it's firing off in my brain. I'm really, I kind of really dig it. And I would, if I didn't get to do anything with them, mm. if I'd never met them, I would listen to Axis and they yeah. would be one of my favourite bands. And so the the opportunity to then make stuff for them, I feel like if you make a music video, I haven't made that many music videos and I've had lots of offers to do so and I do get asked a lot mm. if I'm interested in it. And apart from the fact that these days, I would say there isn't really any money in making yes. music videos, unless you're right at the top, unless you're doing Taylor Swift's music yeah. video or something. For making videos for kind of new and upcoming bands, it's all done for free. And if you're doing, and if I do something for free, which I'm absolutely happy to do, I do loads of stuff that isn't. I'm not all about money or anything. I have a day job making films for money. It has to be something I really dig and I really like. The video you make has to 100% connect with the song or the music. It can't be completely abstracted from it. Mm. It has to somehow tell you a bit more about the band or a bit more about the music. And so what I've tried to do with them is make their personalities visual. And the first video we did for them, it's kind of a little miniature story of like people mucking about, pretending to be a band and then becoming a band. Yeah. But it's also just colourful and you know, the plastic guitars and exciting and, that, yeah. and like ch childlike, I mm. think, in a way that's not meant as a derogatory term. Childlike as in unabashed and a lack of... Inhibition. Yeah, a lack of yeah. inhibition. Yeah. And when you see them live as well, Axes are an incredible band live. They are one of the tightest bands I've ever seen. Yeah. They like to play around with stopping and starting again mm. and gaps and silences and things. I did a live video for them where I just went along to a gig and made it for them because... I just thought people should be able to see them yeah, live yeah. and see something nicely filmed. Like, I'm, yeah. you know, you see so many YouTube videos that are of live concerts yeah. and it's just someone holding their phone at the back of a room. <laughs> I went in there and filmed it and they do it all. Like, I didn't do anything for that. I just basically captured how exciting they are mm. to watch. Let's just maybe talk about where you've come from. How did you get to this point in your life? Is this, because I can just sense your passion. You have this interest i think in in the novel the new and as you said yourself jumping into things that you that might challenge you yeah well i'm originally from the north don't sound like it but i was born in doncaster mm. 
but was raised mainly in Norwich. It's a very flat place and a very quiet place. But when I was growing up, Norwich was actually quite an interesting melting pot of people that probably felt like they didn't really fit in in Norfolk, which is a quite conservative and, and place that is very... Well, it has a reputation as being... It has a reputation of, yeah. that might not be very are, fair, are, but it are, certainly yeah. is a place that you have to go and find it. And people got together, therefore, mm. and they did things. And I was part of three or four bands when I was growing up. I was mm. always into music. My dad is a... Uh, was massively into quite a lot of very good music, uh, right. things like you know Led Zeppelin and what did Beatles. he do? My dad is now retired, but he was a physiotherapist. He okay. worked for the NHS, yeah. and my mum sadly passed away, but she uh, was a teacher. I think our family in general was always was quite creative. My mum was a was a keen musician, and she played a lot of instruments. My dad, he moved quite high up in his job, and so I guess he was quite tenacious and hardworking, and those things probably just filtered down into what I do. I'm very lucky because you know I've grown up a white, straight, male, Privileged. middle class. So, yeah, so yeah. do you know what? I I had the best starting yeah. stats. Well, part of it, you know, is recognizing it, and of course, not, yeah. Not, I mean, not, not sort of I'm from... I'm I'm grateful for every kind mm. of privilege that I have had since growing up, and one of those privileges was being in a family that had. No, that didn't have any money problems or anything. Yeah. We, you know, we had a nice, quiet upbringing in Norwich, and my mum and dad were just hugely supportive, inclusive people who yeah. taught me the value of like hard work, but also the value of like not being judgmental. I guess. Yeah. Parents are often even they love you so much, but they maybe they want you to do a certain job, or they they don't want you to take too many risks because they're worried for you. Yeah. My mum and dad were just if I wanted to do something, they just said, "Well." have a go and mm. and but but do Great. it do it properly yeah i think is is probably don't their, do a their half advice. job yeah that's exactly yeah. it and yeah. that is the thing that stayed with me my entire life good advice actually it's never it's meant i've never really feared having a go at something but mm. i've never the one thing i would fear is doing a half-assed job of it so then i moved from so was there a bit of a george bailey bedford falls have to get out of this place in you i think everybody who grows up in norwich is kind of you split them up into two sets of people the people that feel like they never ever want to leave yeah and the other people that feel like they absolutely have to but and I there's definitely... people who want to leave but can't like alan partridge well <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah alan partridge is like the hero of well it's of alan part i mean for me like everyone in norwich delia count... smith He's and like... alan partridge <laughs> yeah, yeah, <Delia> smith. <laughs> and that kind of sounds lovely and maybe to a lesser expense these days like ed balls weirdly because he's the chairman of norwich city football club right but, um as as a as a kind of teenager i kind of always assumed i would go somewhere else and do something right. i'd never really had a clue where yeah. and it was when i started getting into kind of film over music somehow i managed to do an a-level in film back when I don't think that existed, but somehow it did, it did where I went to school. It was a choice between physics and film. And my dad had sort of said, yeah, well, you should do physics because if you want to do music production at the time, I thought maybe I'll be able to come do some kind of technical music production. Do physics. That'll be a really good scientific way. You know of, that whole physics you know. film thing. Well, yeah. I guess he was right in a yeah. way in that you understand all kinds of things about music yeah. if you understand physics. And then I saw some of the girls that were going into the film thing and I remembered that I really liked film. And I don't know, I just in that moment went, God, film, that'd be really fun. And real, and, and my dad didn't go, I can't believe you yeah. want to do film instead of physics. He went, well, if that's what you'd enjoy more, do that. Well, physics taught you not to cross the eye line, right? <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, the 180 degree rule yeah. is very important. But, yeah, what were your favourite movies? What are your big influential mo- favourite movies when you were growing up? Or oh. stuff that inspired you or you, you know, still well, I think inspire you, I suppose. 
Well, I can tell you without a doubt what my favourite film of all time is, and that's yeah. Ghostbusters. Wow. And not, I would have been not, here a not, while before I came to that. Not for, <laughs> in Spanish, Casa Fantasmas, I learned. It's twofold, really. It's not just that it's something I grew up with and something that I loved as mm-hmm. a child and was obsessed with or whatever, but I honestly think it's probably in like the top five funniest movies ever made. Wow, okay, that's Like, it's maybe one of the most quotable movies ever made. It's a bunch of people, Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray, at the absolute top of like their mm. game. And it's a film about nothing. It's a film about nothing that came, came out of nowhere. It's such yeah. a weird film. Like, why would you make a film yeah. like this? You couldn't possibly make a film like that again, yeah. almost. It is a one of a kind, apart from Ghostbusters 2, but we don't talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> but mine is my, my favorite movie is it's a wonderful life which I just referenced earlier but mm. life of brian would be my, my number two which i would vote by stretch as the funniest obviously. movie and my number three is the big lebowski which i find kind of yeah. funny as well but ghostbusters yeah i mean ghostbusters i suppose I, I, i'm a generation ahead of you it was um there's no doubt that there's some fabulous pieces in it and yes ghostbusters 2 just showed you how you know just the stars aligned for ghostbusters 1 <laughs> well, because yeah. there was no and there was that great um when I was growing up, there was the great uh, Ray Parker Jr., uh, Huey Lewis on the news, legal spat over oh, I want wow. a new yeah. drug versus uh, who you're going to call Ghostbusters. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, obviously I can't claim to, to know too much about that, but... <laughs> Just bringing music and film back into it. But well, what yeah, other, I mean, what... the music's pretty iconic. I'm not sure if it's yeah. iconic for the, all the right reasons. Yeah, yeah. But then actually, some of the like boogie-woogie kind of piano, the kind of Blues brothers stuff, that is actually in the original soundtrack. Yeah. It's really good. It's the, not the kind of film that I would cite as like the the te- most technically pleasing yeah. film I've ever watched. Yeah. But I think films, I think a very important thing that I try and bear in mind whenever I make anything, whether it be a kind of corporate video or something that I'm getting paid money for or a short film, mm. is that film is not about one thing. It's not about the looks on its own. It's not about the actors on its own. It's not about the writing even on its own. It's the ultimate collaborative mm. thing. Ghostbusters just gives me more joy than any other film right. and that's that's all you need for yeah. it to be a film it doesn't even have to be a good film what sort of movies would you say to like a young up-and-coming filmmaker like to, to, to watch what would you yeah things that maybe people haven't ones. heard of yeah. so films that certainly had a effect on me when i was learning about film and mm. would be things like matthew kasovitz la n la n spelled la haine h-a-i-n-e it's a film set in the banlieue in Paris, so like mm-hmm. the uh, kind of urban outskirts of Paris in the 90s. And it's about these three young guys, an Algerian guy, a black guy and a white guy who are all friends. And there's a lot of kind of racial tension at that time mm-hmm. in Paris. Police brutality was a massive kind of cause of friction and stuff mm-hmm. at the time. It just follows these three guys after they find out that the police may have killed someone they know. They're in a coma or something wandering through Paris and it's shot in entirely in black and white presented in black and white I should say I think it was shot in colour it's just one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen and it's also this film that has this raw political kind of of the moment tension running throughout Mm. the whole thing and that was like my first experience of film as something other than say like 80s sci-fi films which is my other love you know and what else? What other ones would you there? Uh, well, another one, again, another foreign one. I'm not like a big snob about foreign yeah. films or anything, but I think people probably don't watch them as much as they would an American film or a British film. Yeah. So if I can ever... No, it's better them. that we have ones like this. That... So there's a filmmaker called Michael Haneke, who is art house filmmaker. A film he made called Funny Games, 
a middle class family who go to a boathouse to go on holiday. Then a young man in a dressed entirely in white knocks on their door, asks to borrow some sugar, comes in with his friend who's also dressed entirely in white and they're both wearing white gloves and it's a little bit weird. Family let them in and then they essentially kill the family yeah. one by one. <laughs> it's a real funny comedy. No, it's, um, and it's a film about the way that violence is portrayed in Hollywood in that instead of seeing the moment of violence and then not really ever seeing the consequences, which is how superhero comic book yeah. films, you know, you see you see the hero yeah. punch the bad guy and then they walk off or whatever. Yeah. This is one where you never see the act, but what you see instead the is the aftermath. And yeah. I, I won't spoil it for anyone, but I mean, it's quite graphic and yeah. people apparently walked out of the cinema when they saw it and stuff. And to be honest, I don't believe that. I don't believe yeah. it whenever That's someone says people walked hype. out of the cinema because surely you want to you want to know what happens. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of marketing hype. There was a one ad mm. recently where people were vomiting in the cinema. I didn't bother going to see it. I don't yes. particularly like that's horror. Again, again, like but that's also good because anyone who's into horror and there is a huge then they niche, see that they want to see, see the one. Bomb, yeah, yeah, exactly. It was something that could be both a tense film that you cared about a lot when you're watching it, but also something very subversive. It plays a lot with a thing called action code and signifies so like you know when you see a shot of a pen knife on a floor and it's lingering and you think that's going to be important later yeah. and what it does is it plays with your expectations whereby it gives you some of these things and you and, and you get to these moments where you're like oh, this is where the guy finally overpowers them and then they just like boop, they like knock the pen knife into this like lake and it's gone and that's it his the hope of this person ever surviving is gone it, it really kind of plays with your emotions and, and michael haneke i got into him after that and he's a really brilliant filmmaker i love anything that that allows you to like build up some kind of uh, you know reasoning Infinity or whatever yeah. yeah and then and then flips it because yeah. actually that to me is what life is like life mm. is like thinking Donald Trump or someone is a really funny bloke to watch on a tv show mm. and then he's president and yeah. suddenly it's not funny anymore yeah thinking Kevin Spacey's a brilliant actor and then hearing about the yeah. stuff and having to like understand that there is a tension there. You have to, can you change your opinion on people? And it's hard. Also having I love a, anything that forces you to. Also having a kind of a, a semi-suspicion that he's not quite right and then suspending that because you like what the person's doing and then finding and out then, and Jimmy Savile, etc. Right? You know what I mean? It's, when the Jimmy Savile thing broke in America, my American friend said, wait, you guys went for 30 years thinking this guy wasn't? <laughs> I know, I know. I know like, good point. <laughs> a, really, a really good tie-in here, actually, if we talk about Eddie later, is that uh, where we shot Eddie, it's like two minutes down the road from his oh, house. Right. Let's and, get on um, to Eddie. Anyway. So, so <laughs> Eddie is, is another movie which uh, is available to watch. It's available to watch online right now for free. Okay, uh, I don't like to say it. on YouTube. That's where I watched it. But... You can watch it on Vimeo or you can watch it on YouTube. Yeah. Lo I loved watching it. It's a short film. It looks like it was shot in Scotland or Wales or somewhere. It is, yeah. shot in uh, sort of northwest Scotland in yeah. the Glencoe right. area. Right, so it's a, it's a remote medical station or something where there's a guy... Uh, who seems to be living with one other guy who's clearly gone crazy and this guy seems to be monitoring him every day and you take it up from there and tell me where it came yeah. from. What is it about? So I describe Eddie as a film about an employee and his struggles coping with extreme boredom, a mute and terrifying-looking <laughs> companion, bloodied companion, and also a kind of mystery that he doesn't really want to solve. And, and a pen. I guess, yeah, and a pen. And a, <laughs> and a gold pen. Yeah. Which I didn't realise was going to 
be like the center of theories about the film. It's so cool when you make something and then people actually yeah. bother to come up with crackpot theories about it. Obviously, I don't want to give away. Yeah, what, it's a spoiler. What happens spoil I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. And I, all I will say is, it's only ten minutes. So don't if you worry can't yourself, afford ten minutes. Exactly. Like don't it. worry yourself too much about the pen when you're watching it. Now that yeah. we've mentioned it, it's yeah. not. It really isn't that important. It's just a, a metaphorical joke yes. that I think probably gets missed and gets interpreted as something else. Yeah. Without again, without wanting to give give away what happens at the end, the, the film is about the kind of, I guess, endless feeling of futility yeah futility is in my word yeah. when when isolation yeah, of isolation and so and of and of <sighs> and this feeling that everybody's kind of stuck in their own lives and you tend to like justify things about your life that you don't like when you think you can't change them i guess i agree when you watch films often it's like the good guys versus the bad guys mm. in science fiction you know the ubiquitous evil corporation mm. and this kind of film does deal with the ubiquitous big tech corporation yeah, because yeah. this person, although you don't see any any representative of it, this company called Overhead is mm-hmm. is part of the film. It's almost a character in the film. In a Hollywood film, if you work for this, find out about this big corporation that might be doing dodgy stuff, you know, you would jump to action and take them down or whatever. And in Britain, you'd maybe put the kettle on and pretend nothing was happening yeah. and just carry on working there because, you know, it's not your job. It doesn't mm. matter. And this is kind of me trying to explore that. I find, uh, it, I find it massively thought-provoking and, and multi-layered in exactly those ways you were talking about. You know, this Groundhog Day that people go to, go to work in is, is mm. very clear. It doesn't matter where you work, a bank or whatever. But yes, a corporation. There's the hope of you're doing this to eventually get out. I love the way that the... The, the jarring nature of the technology was has clearly been there since the 80s and 70s yeah and, and, and you kind of it's, it's it's a very discombobulating movie where there is a spoiler at the end which you don't expect if you found out that you you were like by proxy working for someone awful would you do anything about it I've written a, a short story about for, for, for a book that I'm in production on which was about um, a bank manager people have called him scum right? and he finds this outrageous that someone's called mm-hmm. him scum because he, he, his point of view is it wasn't my fault what happened I'm now in charge sure back then I was only a lowly bank manager did I know what was going on sure I did but it, it wasn't my responsibility to say exactly. it and, and nobody asked me and if they'd asked me I would have of course said because I'm a good Catholic man I won't tell lies and just this delusions that people mm. put on themselves not only as you said in the fact that they stick in careers that they should leave and won't mm. leave and they don't do anything about it and, and then when, they, when they're in a career, particularly in the ad business, you know, there's been some accounts I've worked on that are borderline unethical. Certainly mm. the stuff that we're saying in our advertising is fucking a lie. And, yeah. you know, and we all kind of go, oh, well, it's just advertising. But, you know, that, that questionable sort of ethics runs through capitalism across. It does, it's not yeah. just the cigarette boys and, and the oil companies. Yeah, you know? it's something as like, if you are a left-wing person, then you obviously, or someone that believes in, social inclusion or in trying to help people out who are in dire situations Mm. as opposed to helping people at the top of the run if you really do think of yourself as that then you have to be constantly dealing with demons that you have over everything you do surely walking past a homeless person not giving them money yeah or or buying products that that might be doing damage to the environment or damage to a farm somewhere Mm. or buying clothes like buying clothes is if you want to really buy only ethical clothes then good luck I don't think you'll be able to here's a hemp sack off you go one of the things that you just touched on there and again it's worth maybe us two having a chat about this because I wanted to talk to someone about it but 
this whole idea of right versus left, which is just getting so fucking polarized, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to a lot of Jordan Peterson at the moment. I don't agree with him, but I, I like the fact that he's brave and, and he purports to tell people to be brave and stand up and throw yourself forward. He is very uh, right wing, although he's not a right wing supremacist and he keeps getting pilloried. Hmm. Uh, I don't really know him. He's a Canadian, I, no, Canadian uh, him, philosopher and, and, and clinical psychologist. But his point is, oh, well, we must be very careful with the, um, the, 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 the way the left is going. Particularly, he, he, he took a stand on all these pronouns, you know, the 31 different pronouns that people want to call themselves Zim and Zer and all this kind oh, of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which has actually gone into law in Canada. And he's refusing, at the risk of being arrested, of right. using them. He was as a boy, a girl, whatever. And his point then goes, well, that will quickly gravitate towards Marxism, where you're actually making laws on what people can say, which is fair enough. But I don't think it's a bit dramatic. But it, but yeah, it, I think but you end up at a point where he, he it seems to me that it seems like it's such a sad situation that people wanting to kind of feel comfortable in how they're addressed and who they address other people can become something so charged with politics and exactly. become something that people are forced one way or the other to do. And what rather than just. Well, it's being, being considerate of just difference, I yeah. guess. I don't know. It's well, it's uh, tribalism and identity politics, and his view is yeah. that's what caused communism and Marxism and Mao and all that. But you know, my my point of view is, you know, you don't have to go from one to the other. Like what you just yeah. said earlier is like if everybody who made millions of dollars just paid their taxes, right? Mm. Weren't allowed to have loopholes. Just paid like the average guy in the street. The amount of money that would come into economies, so you know, Ireland goes. Oh, maybe all these millionaires and billionaires would leave, and we they they give money to schools. No, mm. they just pay their taxes. They can keep the rest. Yeah, you know, and they, where would and, they go? And, and if that everyone money did would, it, where would they go? Well, well, it, well, and also Ireland's quite a nice country, and people I, pay a premium to live there, as is the UK. Again, like the the same thing was chatted about this country. Like if this country raised. I can't remember what it was. It was something in the Labour manifesto or something about raising raising corporation tax or something to a certain degree, and and people saying, "Oh well, businesses will leave." And then you look at a table of stuff and you think, "Well, no. Even if you raise it, it would still be a very yeah. you know people are going to look at what is on offer, mm. not the imaginary of what what used to be on offer." And I think that's the thing. That's something very very inbuilt into human psychology is this idea that if you've had something once, mm. then you feel immediately like you have the right to have it forever you feel that being taken away far more than you feel anything being given to you in yes, return. Yes, yes and that's such a natural kind of human thing yeah. and you i think it's a responsibility of people if they can have any responsibility of mm. themselves to kind of fight urges like that to yeah. try and it's okay to lose a privilege i think yeah. it's okay i wouldn't mind if my prosperity went down a little bit if it helped more people come yeah. up. I saw David Mitchell on TV program and he said that the, the current tax system in this country is essentially a tax on your conscience because you can, if you want, pay almost nothing if you can square it off with your own conscience. Yeah. And that's insane. Like yeah. you shouldn't have, yeah. we shouldn't be allowing people to tax on their conscience. We should be just going, mm. you pay this. Yeah. Full stop. And like someone said, some people say, oh, well, you know, if, if you close that loophole, there'll just be another loophole. Well, OK, if it's whack-a-mole, we keep, yeah, we keep, keep closing. The, and also and it's a crime just, you know, to, to yeah. use loopholes. Why can't you just say it's a crime? It's very clear. We know what you're doing. You're not, it's like football. Just, you're not, yeah. you're not following the spirit of the law, you know. Yeah. Anyway, we're not going to yeah. solve that. Yeah, well, of course. Yeah. I, mean, it's a weird, I didn't expect. I, I didn't either. I know, but yeah, I quite right. like sometimes when it goes but off on time. You know. But Eddie, going back to that. So that was an idea that you had, and this is interesting for young filmmakers uh, listening, you have you, you had an idea, and I think it could make a magnificent uh, 
feature, but originally it was an idea for a feature. So Eddie actually started life as a feature film project, and that feature film project is still ongoing. Basically, a, a very good friend of mine called John Williams Nobbs, he came up with this idea that he then turned into a feature film script about a small dysfunctional team in the middle of nowhere, realising when they get visited by a kind of higher up from their company, mm. they're all scientists, this is kind of big R&D department of a ubiquitous sci-fi mega corporation or whatever, they get visited by, by someone from higher up the chain who starts doing things in their lab that they realise are quite morally wrong maybe or, or de definitely scary. And it's about whether this kind of bunch of nobodies do they stand up and do anything about it? What, what, what would you do if you woke up one day and realised that you were inadvertently the bad guy rather than the good guy? Mm. And would you just go along with it? Or would you do something about it? And especially if you didn't really like the people you worked with and it meant teaming up with them. Mm. That was kind of the idea. And we, we scripted it and we've and worked on numerous drafts and we kind of, I think originally a small team was put together the idea we would just go and make it. And then we realised that we like the idea too much to kind of ruin it by just kind of making a half-assed version of it. So we set about changing it and, and tweaking it and getting it to a stage where we felt like it was as good as it could be. <sighs> yeah, we kind of hit a dead end because like with all scripts, unless you have somebody who wants to buy it off you or somebody yeah. who wants to invest, Bankroll it, yeah. you can't, can't do much about it. And I, I, although I'd been at this point, this is maybe like three years ago now, you know, I've been working for seven years at that point. I've got things under my belt. I've not actually really made a film at that point. I had been running a film festival and that had been taking all of my time away from actually doing film projects. Yeah, that was a short film festival that I started by accident and ended up doing for six years. And so we just sort of brought that to a close and I said, well, why don't we just go and make something so that we can, if we were going to go and ask people for money, they go, well, what have you made already? Well, here's what we made. Not just here's a film we made, but here's a film that is exactly is a spin-off from this. It's, yeah. This is the world we've created already. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. the characters. These are the emotions. Here's the style. Mm. Here's everything for you in a small, digestible version. And so we decided to make a short film. If you take a film like Whiplash, <laughs> yeah. the director actually made a short which was based on one scene from Whiplash before he actually made the feature. And so he did that and suddenly it went to Sundance and people started getting interested and that's now quite a common route I think into getting a feature film off the ground is to make what's called a proof of concept. We decided to make a proof of concept but we also realized that our finances and our you know our resources were quite limited and so we should make something that does stand on its own. Yeah. So we wrote a little side story, a little story sort of maybe a prequel you might say it might yeah. be set before. You did a great job it's beautifully it's beautiful to watch I urge anyone listening to seek it out I, one of the things you know when you look at your work or I look at your work and you look at something like Eddie versus Crackle Pop and even listening to you today you have this lovely kind of yin and yang with in within you about lightness and darkness mm. and vibrancy and dystopianness and you know that's a very I think a very kind of powerful compass that you yeah. have going on there and you know there's echoes of Westworld I think in what you're talking about I don't know if you've picked that up yet that new show I haven't actually seen that yeah, yeah, the, it's, it's not very it's, it's full of holes but it's, it makes you think oh, everyone's talking about, about what it, the though, future so is yeah but but you have a young daughter what does the future look for you and in, in regards to that you know question and you, you, you have you, you definitely have both sides at play in you right 
Yeah, I mean, what you what you're saying about light and dark, I think it's really important. So Eddie's quite could be seen as quite a dark film, but it does it has actually purposefully got quite a bit of humour in it. Yes, like it, yeah. it certainly doesn't take itself 100% seriously. No. And that would be... That's me. I don't take mm. anything... I, I, I take things I do very seriously, but I don't take yeah. myself seriously. I feel like real moments of darkness are far more relatable and far more real when they are surrounded by these moments of kind of humour and lightness. I mm. actually think that's how life is. I've had a pretty... Un, not too traumatic a life, but like my mother died in a car accident when I was about 23 years old. So that was hard. That was obviously incredibly tough. But there's, there are things that kind of then happened that I remember around that time that, that still make me laugh. And I, I don't think that people should feel awkward about that kind of nervous humour that you find in dark situations. Yeah. I actually think that's the thing that means you get away, that you can overcome them. Yeah, that's yeah. the human way of overcoming tragedy. Otherwise, we'd all be just depressed all the time. Yeah. And, and so that's what I make in, in my films. Eddie is kind of the epitome of that. And Crackle Pop is the other side of it. When pure happiness and yeah. Crackle Pop, even though it was a much, it was a smaller project. I don't know if that I've ever managed to do something that, matched how I kind of wanted it to be but Cracker Pop's probably the closest I've come and I think that might be down to the fact that it is literally just me kind of closing my eyes <laughs> listening yeah. to the track and then and then putting it on a yeah. whereas Eddie I'm thinking about lots of other stuff about what other people will think and how it reflects a feature film and all this other stuff so you know as I was saying that for your daughter's future do you what's your view away from your profession and looking at the world that you live in well I would be lying if I didn't say there were a lot of worrying things. But then I don't know. You can't live life as though the world is about to end because there's only two ways to do that. One is... It's binary. Get your, one is call up your friend who owns a nuclear bunker. Yeah. <laughs> go, and, go and live there. I know where you're going to be Which I do actually now have as an <laughs> yeah, option, yeah. thankfully. The other option is you just you live life like, a, like you're going to die. And, and, and to me, that's kind of a feeling that sort of slightly leaves you the moment that you see your, like, your newly born child. Suddenly yeah. that kind of feeling of fearlessness uh, that, you, you know, <laughs> that disappears yeah. and you, you realise that there's something else. Did that, you find when you had your daughter that it was you had to change a little bit? Oh, a lot. With that a lot. I think I think that is the main responsibility of people who have mm. children is that they need to understand that their life can't be the same as it was. It's not just you anymore. It's yeah. there's another person that, who is as important as you are to yourself, and yeah, you have to. I mean, I'm a sort of a bit of an antinatalist, so I mean, I, I, I well, I'm kind of glad I purposely made decisions not to. Uh, which everyone says, oh, you're very selfish. I don't think it's, I don't no, think I it's think selfish it's, to no, I think it's like selfish. children. I think, to, I, think yeah. you're, I think that's completely wrong. I think you're selfish is when you decide you want to have everything and you yeah. want to have children and you also want to have your life yeah. exactly as it was. Yeah. To me, that's being selfish. Yeah, I agree. You want to keep living your life a certain way and that children would compromise that for both you and them. Mm. Then you're actually being incredibly honest. I don't think that's selfish at all. You're, you're still young, but what were the things that you've learned or passed back to your younger self or someone coming behind you that you didn't, you went, oh, I didn't know that? It's a difficult thing to make anybody realise, and I still struggle with it now. If you want to do something, just do it immediately. Mm. Don't think about it. The more you think about it, the harder it's going to get. You can tell people that till you're yeah. blue in the face, but they won't necessarily listen to it. And I don't think my younger self would listen to it. When I was at university, 
God, I could have made two feature films when I was at yeah. university with the time I had with like the non-responsibility. And yeah. I wish maybe if I'd have said, just go out and make a film about anything. Because right now I find myself 10 years later, we have the feature film that we're still kind of yeah. pursuing. But I'm actually now thinking to myself, okay, well, I'm going to make something, whatever happens. Yeah. And in the next couple of years, I will have made a feature film. Whether yeah. it is that one, the overhead film, or whether it yeah. is something that I'm going to just concoct and make because I realised the longer you leave it to do any of that stuff, the the harder it gets and the more the doubt and things kind of set I think in. one of the things I look back on as well I is I exactly... slap myself constantly to keep myself moving forwards rather than like mm. convincing myself to take a step backwards. One of the things I kind of remember from that time though, which is, it, it is I think very important, when you are that round peg and everyone's trying to slam you into a square hole, the people around you, not because they're mean, try and, as you said earlier in the chat, discourage you from doing crazy out there things, discourage mm. you from taking risks. That will never work. No one will make a, a movie in Ireland. You can't make any yeah. money from being a comedian. Yeah. You'll never get anything on television. Go and take a job in the bank. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the other one is like, well, you're going to have to move out of London because you can't yeah. afford a house. Yeah. Maybe a few years ago, uh, my wife and I we would have said, "God, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a family soon. Yeah. We, we need to have a house." Like, oh God, you've got to have a, you, got, you know we've got to we're gonna end up having to we have to move out. And we actually live very close to our, my parents in law, and so we actually have childcare from them right. today. In fact, my right. daughter is with them. Okay, we love where we live. Now we actually have a child. We've realised that well, we're gonna stay probably here as long as we possibly can. Like people who move out. You don't come back. You don't and come back. Before you know you, it, you'll be back so in Norwich. if you Norwich. love a place or whatever, well, you know, but I, if I go back to Norwich, it's be, I want it to be because I want to go there, not because yeah. I felt like I, financial I, had or to, I had to stay somewhere else. Yeah. I'd only do that as a very last, last resort. So my mother-in-law is Irish. One thing I'm very happy about is that my daughter is, uh, will have an Irish passport. That, to me, is something that is a huge relief. She'll be uh, able to bring you over to Ireland. Well, yeah, my wife has an Irish passport. And okay. my, my, my daughter will have... And, I'll just you know, jump in the back of a lorry or something and get over there. They'll be able to get when you. Don't worry. The, we'll be when the shit you. hits the fan. The Irish-British tables are starting to turn at the moment and we're, we're loving it over there. John Lynch, thank you for coming on A Pint with Shawnee B. Best of luck with Eddie. Anyone listening, watch it and give this guy the funding because I think he's a, he's a great filmmaker and he deserves to be given all of the, um, the work that he's desperately chomping at the bit to make. Thank Look you, after man. yourself. Thanks. I really love you too. Thank you.